The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 104 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on Tuesday, March 1st, 2022 from the mobile aviator sound studios at the maui coast hotel in kihei on the island of maui on today's flight captain roger and i sit down with an aviator that has agreed to share his journey with us and it's a remarkable journey at that so stay with us while we run our final checks as we prepare to push back off the gate flight 104 of the squawk ident podcast is officially underway Clarence, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Before we begin, I would like to thank Alex Daigle for joining us on Flight 103, Dents and CPTs. I enjoyed hearing all about the ATP-CTP program, and I hope you did as well. Thanks again, Alex. Joining us today is an exceptional aviator and co-host. He's a professional CFI, double MEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, a Falcon 900 2000 commander, a captain, and a corporate operator as well. He joins us from his Man Cave podcast studio from somewhere in San Diego, California. Please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tony. It's good to be back. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing great, man. Uh, busy. Busy. I hear you. It's uh, it's, it's never ending. At least I know, f- you know, for me, it's never ending. Def- it's definitely been busy. Um, every day it's something else. You know, if I fly, that's the easy part. And every day has other challenges, just like today. Uh, <laughs> and th- things are just growing. Things are, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't say they're spiraling out of control, but but there's a lot of, I guess, good things. My, I feel good. I feel secure in my job. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, and you have <laughs> a job lot, security. You have a lot coming up here, um, so stay tuned for yep. for that. Uh, not stay tuned. Cool. Stay tuned. We got a couple months, and yeah, yeah. Some of our some of our friends have been asking me, did Rogers' deal <laughs> go through yet? The uh, that's uh, weird. Can I talk yeah. about that yet? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah, don't spoil it. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, exciting news is coming for the, your uh, your your operation, and yep. uh, we look forward to hearing more about that. And you just got back from a little trip over in the Dominican Republic, was it? Yeah, it was up to the uh, primarily Dominican Republic. Spent I think I guess three days out there, and then. Um, just, I guess, because we can, we fly over to Puerto Rico and spent a night in Puerto Rico before then flying back, um, into the wind, which yeah, a long, Puerto Rico is a long way out there. I mean, we, we, you know, it's a U.S. territory and you look at a map and it looks so bad, but Puerto Rico is a long way out there. Yeah. Um, I think it took us three hours just to get back to, to Florida mainland from Puerto Rico on that flight back. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a long flight. Yeah, um, Puerto Rico to Salt Lake City is where where we stopped and then turned back and, and flew back. 
to San Diego also. So it's kind of a long day. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, we've had quite, quite a few of those long days with all this weather events that have been rolling through the Northeast and Dallas and whatnot, and a lot of rescheduling. And, and I mentioned it in the last show, how you were you were the only one stuck someplace warm. Everyone else was <laughs> in a frozen tundra. <laughs> yep, it was um, it was pretty nice down there. Uh, actually, I'd say it was very nice down there. It rained pretty much every day. Um, it's, it, it rained and then it stopped and the sun came out, but it never really got hot it was definitely humid but um i mean i don't think it really ever got probably over 80 um in those three days so it was actually i mean from a weather perspective it was very nice and um you know other than all that all that stuff that we have to do as part 91 Mm -hmm. like that you guys don't need to do because you have those dispatchers and scheduling it yeah um and we had two airplanes out there also so everything was multiplied by two um in terms of all the international and then there's the COVID restrictions, you know, we got the international back to Puerto Rico and then Puerto Rico's, you know, the U S territory, but half, half international sometimes, but yeah. Um, so did you yeah. go to old town? Did, did you get a little outing in there? No, we never really went out. And especially in Puerto Rico, we were only there for, uh, I don't know, 18 hours. And we had four pilots also without a car. So, um, we just kind of stuck right around the hotel. We did go out and, um, had some adult beverages. It was kind of cool to have, I guess, four pilots. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's trouble right it was, there. It was a different, it was a different experience because usually obviously we're just there with one airplane, but, um, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, I had a long stint off, uh, at home taking care of stuff, uh, built a barn in the backyard. Not, not really a barn, a gazebo, but Hey, close enough. Uh, and needed a little help, uh, getting the roof on it. Uh, but yeah, that was a fun project and, uh, you know, everything else is going on in the world and in, at home. I haven't turned the, uh, the television on at home. I've got the, uh, for those watching, I've got like the weather channel on in the background here at the hotel room, just so I have some kind of, uh, visual and an idea of what time it is and the passage of time. Cause sometimes you get to the hotel and you just sit in bed and you, you start scrolling through social media for those that are on social media. Um, and next thing you know, four or five hours have gone by and <laughs> you get sucked into the matrix. And yeah, so I'm trying to avoid that, but exciting news, uh, flew with, a individual, that was about a month ago. And he just had such an amazing story to tell about his journey in aviation. And I said, you've got to let me have you on the show and, and talk about your journey. And he graciously agreed. Our next guest started out in aviation at birth, born into an aviation family of historic proportions. At six months old, he <laughs> recounts a story of his first aviation experience flying in the back of an airplane while on board with the entire Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. That must have been just an eye-opening experience if you know what i mean later a discovery flight at 13 years old launched his career after an aviation program at the university of oklahoma he joined the u.s air force where he flew the kc-135s he later followed his mother's footsteps and joined the legacy family at legacy airlines where he has type ratings in the 7576 and the Airbus A320 family of aircraft. Please help us in welcoming to the show, Captain Rob Kosan. Rob, how you doing? Doing pretty good, Tony. How's everything on your end? Doing well. 
you know, flew into yeah. a, a pretty good trip here. It's a four day, actually five day, if you count the red eye, I'm going to be doing later on tonight back in LA, but uh, did a nice trip. Uh, everything's been good. High time, a lot of flying. Nice. You know, nice. uh, it wasn't one leg in Hawaii, it was two. We started in Phoenix, ended up in LA, had a two and a half hour sit, dealt with, you know, all the typical airplane write up stuff that needed to be taken yeah. care of, and then flew out to, to Maui last night. Beautiful. Yeah, Beautiful. and all the temperature is perfect. It's not crowded. The airplane had 120 open seats on it, which was eye opening. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we we made some pretty good time. Yeah, we dealt with those winds that Roger was talking about, though. I mean, it was a pretty long flight, five and a half hours from Los Angeles. Yeah. That was that was long. So and you've been flying quite a bit yourself. How's your schedule been? Uh, it's uh, mostly on short call reserve, um, but uh, a lot of the transcons going out to the northeast because uh, the the senior guys take a look at the weather as you do and they go, "I'm not flying today." <laughs> so it's uh, definitely one of those. Uh, I get my my challenges put in, mm-hmm. and uh, some uh, pretty good uh, stories that definitely tell over some beverages uh, at the end of a flight of uh, what's what's been happening on on. Uh, with the weather, essentially. I mean, like I said, tis the season for uh, winter wintertime operations, and that brings a, along its uh, challenges as well as its rewards. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, can't dream of any can't dream of doing anything other than that. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely something to hang your hat on when you get home and set set foot in your house and call it a day and look forward to doing it again. Yeah, that's the beauty of this profession, isn't it? You you show it up is. to work with a a knowledge base. I often equate the skill of professional flying to learning languages. You know, you learn the language of your regulations. You learn the language of aerodynamics. You learn the language of your standard operating procedures for your company. You learn the language of uh, the weather systems. And you learn all these languages. And then once you get proficient in all of them, you show up, you do your job, you get a story or tell to tell at the end of the day. And when you go home, that's it. You're, you're pretty much done. Yep. Okay, so I just got to butt in here to make fun (laughs) of you airline guys, because this is my role on the show. (laughs) That is not all true for all of us. And not all of us just go home and kick our feet up and drink coffee and beer. Okay, now I'm going to let this conversation continue right here. But my role in this show is to at least point out the fact that not everybody has this cush life. I'm going to put my microphone back on mute and stew over here in silence. Carry on. <laughs> and for those that, those that can't see Roger, he's dead serious here. <laughs> but Rob, wow. let's, you know, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. And thank you for your service as well. Oh, it was a pleasure to do so. It was uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of good came of it. Uh, it, got, it got me to where I was uh, ending up wanting to be. But at the same time, being able to serve, uh, being willing, willing and able to do so was a, a pleasure to do so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said. Now, you, growing up, you were telling me a little bit about your family history. And mm-hmm. I can remember sitting there on the flight deck, we were flying along, and I'm just kind of like, you're kidding me. You're, and here you were pulling up pictures of you know, old family oh, yeah. photos, and I was just so amazed. Now, in the intro, I said that you were born into an aviation family. What can you tell me about that? Uh, my mom, uh, she was a part of the very first class of one pilots that was allowed in the uh, United States Air Force back in nine. They started in class uh, 1978, class four at the Williams Air Force Base in Arizona. 
Um, before that, even getting to being able to be a pilot, she had to join the Air Force and ended up as a maintenance officer awaiting to go to training. And she just uh, would not stop uh, when she heard about this pilot program, or I, I say pilot program as initial, um, because it was the very first one, but a initial pilot pilot program mm -hmm. uh, for women pilots. Uh, she was the youngest one, and she was the only reservist in her class. And that's uh, she got through the training. Uh, she met my dad at pilot training. Uh, she, she was a reservist. My dad was active duty. Uh, they got married and enjoyed the uh, the dual income, no kids life for a couple of years. And then I showed up. And then uh, and the the very very interesting thing was I could eat, I would like to have said that my aviation story would have began before birth. But because my mom was the very first female pilot who was pregnant, they actually grounded her because they didn't know the effects of flying in military aircraft while pregnant. Mm. Regulations changed a few years later while my sister was uh, being grown, and she was actually able to fly up until her third trimester. So my sister's story actually began before birth. Ah, nice. So, <laughs> so it's, it's definitely one of those. Um, the unknown at the time, so had to wait a few few months before I took my first flight uh, as a newborn. But uh, uh, we were we were traveling, and uh, I guess like the intro said, we were flying from Dallas to Kansas City, and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were on board. And my mom tells me the story every time of oh, just rosy cheeks and red lipstick painted all over your face from all the kisses you were getting, and <laughs> you'll never live this down. I go, I wish I could remember. Oh man. <laughs> lucky <laughs> yeah and this is at a time when you know the dallas cowboy cheerleaders were like the elite cheerleading squad in the nation there was no yeah. other nothing to nope. compare to yeah that that's a fantastic story and thank you for sharing that with us now obviously Absolutely. being being in a, an aviation family you know having both parents as aviators in our armed services how was that any different than any other aviation family that might be a civilian family. Was it a big adjustment as kids? Uh, I, I would definitely say um, uh, with, with my dad being active duty and we, we were living along all the, the military installations, we were kind of insulated from anything other than what we had because both of our parents were, or pretty much all the kids in the neighborhood, parents were doing the same thing. It's just both of mine were doing it um, at the same time. So it really wasn't um, anything out of the ordinary. Uh, when when a dad or or even a mom would go, all right, I got a two week trip, or I'm I'm deploying out to this location, or um, all that we knew was they'd be gone and they'd they'd come home with a with a suitcase full of presents and uh, gummy bears if they went to Germany and and ask them when's the next trip. <laughs> so really, not much different than uh, a child from an aviation airline family. It's it's kind yeah, of the same thing. Pretty, pretty much the same, uh, especially growing up uh, as, as a younger, you don't really conceptualize uh, what your parents are actually doing. Mm -hmm. um, once you get a little bit older and kind of understanding what's going on in the world, then you kind of get an idea of, oh, my dad or my mom is doing this. And you go, that's really cool. And then for me, that kind of really cemented the seed of, I wanted to do the military route because I saw what mom and dad did throughout the throughout the country and, and the world. That uh, I'd definitely be something that I'd uh, like to put my talents to to good use for. Yeah, yeah. Now, how was school? You were you mentioned that you were on bases and. Oh yeah, 
Um, I, I'll, I'll go through the litany of uh, where, where I lived uh, to, to include ending up here. I was born in New Jersey, uh, lived there for three months. Then we moved to Altus, Oklahoma, southwest corner. Uh, lived there for about five years. Then we went up to Fort Leavenworth for my dad to do a, a joint assignment with the Army. Then we moved over to Monterey, California for him to do uh, language school to learn Spanish. Uh, that's when I first started first grade at the time. So I was in first grade for a year. Then we moved to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Lived there for two years. My dad was working at the embassy there. Then we did Alabama uh, for another uh, professional schooling. Then Scott Air Force Base, Illinois. Uh, did that for three years. Uh, left when I was in seventh grade at that point. Then moved over back to New Jersey, uh, did seven or eight, ninth and 10th grade. 11th grade was in Virginia. Then I actually graduated with kids that I went to school with in the fifth grade back in Illinois, and then went off to school in Oklahoma, and then started my Air Force journey back to Alabama, then to Texas for pilot training, then Altus, Oklahoma for KC-135 school, and ended up in my base in uh, Northern Indiana at Grissom Air Reserve Base. At which point, he did a lot of deployments there and uh, got on to Legacy Airlines. Moved to Miami and uh, up until recently, about a year and a half ago, moved, made, made the move out to uh, Southern California. So what you're telling me is you have commitment issues. Yes. Longest, <laughs> longest place I've ever lived anywhere was six years, and that was Miami. <laughs> wow. Well, what, a, what a journey. I mean, and that's, you know, I'm sure there's so much more to talk about in terms of where you've lived, the experiences you've shared uh, with your family and you know, schoolmates from around the world, really. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just a, something so foreign to me. I mean, I, I, I too kind of came in from another country and started school in the US, but my parents were not you know, traveling with the armed services. They were basically, their roots were here in the West Coast uh, you know, in California mainly. And, and then I traveled around with my previous career, but it pales in comparison. You I mean, you traveled more by the age of seven or eight years old than most of us do in a lifetime. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's quite an experience. Um, and I think, would I be wrong in saying that all those experiences really do give you the tools to quickly uh, join in in a group, in an experience, and kind of fit in. Uh, hundred perfect, perfect with the explanation. They give you the tools. It requires the uh, self determination to utilize those tools uh, to then uh, want to continue with what you want to do. Uh, make friends where you can. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with not utilizing what you have and just want to do do your own thing. But uh, being able, being given the tools. And using them uh, creates lifelong friendships um, to the point of uh, social media is one of those extraordinary things, especially kind of with the geolocating of, hey, this guy's near you. And I go, I haven't seen him in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) We're in a random, we're in Des Moines, Iowa, of all places on a, on a trip from, from, from something or uh, a great story of I'm in Brazil and there's a guy that I went to college with and I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> wow. I mean, you just, you meet up people, the, the most random places. And yeah. um, it, I don't want to say it sucks uh, to the point of you have to kind of change your day up a little bit, but it's, it's, it's definitely for the better. And you create the, the lifelong uh, memories and uh, really cement those friendships. 
That's interesting. So you're using social media and the technology that it comes with in order to discover moments where it's a memory that is cherished, not yeah. but through the social media tool. And that's something you don't yeah. hear every day. Most people go, oh, put your phone away, be in the moment. It, well, yeah, but you're, you're using the, the media to yeah. discover these moments that wouldn't be there. Yeah. You would have never known that your buddy was on that layover in Des Moines or wherever it is. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of a refreshing thing to hear. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, you can, you, can, you can spend hours upon hours on it and just and peruse or, or, or you can use it to a different, different way, which is the way I kind of uh, I model my social media experience of I kind of utilize it to see what's going on. I'll, I'll take a look at who's posted, but uh, definitely where, where they're posted and go, hey, you still there? Yeah, yeah. And that, and that is really cool. Now, we mentioned that you had your discovery flight at the age of 13. Was that something that you were pushing for, or was that something your family was just saying, hey, uh, you want to go up? Uh, we'll pay for a discovery flight? Uh, it, was, it was a family event at uh, McGuire Air Force Base out there in New Jersey. And uh, I, I told my dad, I want to do it. Um, and he goes, all right, let's, let's sign you up. And on a Saturday when, when there was no military jets flying, we... We were doing touch and goes in a Cessna 172 at the through the Aero Club, right there at the base, and flew over the house and really, really cemented the bug at that point. Yeah. Now, now, were you able to see over the glare shield? You know, no. some some people <laughs> we talk about that, and we used to have these yeah. things called phone books. If you know any listeners yeah. out there are like, what's a phone book? There are these really thick books of everybody's yeah. phone number that lives in your area um and the businesses and we used to like stack them up for the kids you know but then they couldn't reach the pedals which yeah probably couldn't reach the pedals anyway so um yeah but yeah i, I remember that uh looking over the glare shield was always a, a challenge it was, it was it was mostly horizontal views is what uh, really got me <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you said that cemented the uh the bug was it something that you started right away with, or did that motivate you to keep up the grades and, and move forward? It, it definitely did. Um, be, being in the position with the family, uh, being able to, to see military aircraft at air shows and having access to it uh, on the weekends. My dad would take us to, to the airplane and we'd sit in the cockpit and he'd, he'd do the enunciator test and I'd look at all the lights, do a fire bottle test and, and hear all the bells and whistles on the airplane. And as, as a little kid, uh, definitely. Oh, that's really, really cool. And, and they, they never once really pushed me, uh, towards, towards that, uh, lifestyle, but it was just something that, uh, definitely wanted to, to be a part of. And once getting behind the controls, uh, really, really put it, put it into perspective. Yeah. Just out of curiosity did your sister also, you had mentioned your sister, did she follow in, in the family legacy exactly. footsteps as well? Was she exactly. enamored also? Uh, hers was a little different journey. Uh, she took it among more of, uh, if big brother can do it, I can do it. So, uh, sure. she was, she's about four years behind me. Uh, so right as my, my collegiate journey was ending and the military career was starting, she was just finishing high school and kind of going, ah, I don't really know what I want to do. And seeing what I went through, uh, training wise and program wise, uh, it interests her, uh, to, to pursue that career path. So is she so is she flying now as well? 
she's also here at the uh, Legacy Airline, as well as uh, flying for the Air Force Reserves out at uh, Travis Air Force Base in Northern California. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you both are flying for the same carrier. And was there a time where your mother was also flying for Legacy Airlines there at the was. same time? There was. Uh, she recently retired uh, back in April of 2020, uh, age 65. And uh, it, was, it was a unique opportunity that three years prior to that, that we got crewed on the same aircraft to fly from uh, Dallas to uh, Keflavik, Iceland. So um, it, it really uh, brings back uh, some really good memories of our very first time flying together, uh, her initial uh, legacy airline experience was a flight from JFK to Cairo, Egypt when we were uh, when I was in eighth grade and my sister was in third grade that she she pulled me, uh, my sister and grandma, and we went from New York to Egypt, sat there for three days while she did uh, Egypt to, to Riyadh and back and uh, flew back. Her landing wasn't the greatest. Uh, as a snot-nosed kid, I go up to the cockpit, and this was all pre-9/11. Going, mom, that landing sucked. <laughs> <laughs> She's mad. Check airman. He's laughing. The other pilot's laughing, and she turns to me, and, and this was right around the time that I had my discovery flight. And she goes, "Just wait. You're going to have a landing like that." And I go, "Probably, but you won't be on board." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of avoided it a little bit. And uh, she was getting closer to the retirement age, and uh, our airline decided the, to put a retirement, a firm retirement date on the aircraft. So we we really pushed um, through through uh, scheduling to try to make the, this flight happen, and it it it, it worked out. And uh, I flew as the first officer. My mom was the relief pilot, and uh, I'd like to say it was probably the best landing I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Now, you were telling me about this story uh, when we flew together, and you said you had a little friendly competition about landing, and the captain was kind of uh, feeling like, oh, what the heck did I get myself into? What's going on here? What can you <laughs> recall yeah. about that? The the really cool thing was uh, he, he's a great guy still also. I still believe he's still uh, flying for us as well. Um, and, and just to cement the whole aviation as a small community, uh, he was in my dad's squadron back in the 80s oh, wow. and was kind of looking at me going, I know you. And I go, yeah, I was that kid running up and down the halls of the squadron as a as a toddler. And he goes, and I remember him saying, God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> it but is a we, small world. You know, we say that all yeah. the time. Yeah. But we, we sat down, we introduced ourselves and he goes, I know the name. And we go through the history and of, of who we were. And he goes, yeah, I know you guys. And we go, I'm sorry, Bob, but you're not getting the landing. I'm getting this. I'm taking us to, to Iceland. My mom's bringing us back, having a competition. And he goes, okay. <laughs> so I, I proceeded to have the best landing of my life. And my mom definitely redeemed herself because uh, she beat me. <laughs> oh, so you had the best yeah. landing of your life. And she still. And she still beat you. Yes. Nice. Yes. Nice. Yes. Uh, definitely one of those, uh, the, the skill, like a, a fine aged wine just gets better with time. And, uh, she showed me a thing or two, uh, towards the end of her career. Wow. Oh, Sit man. back, son. Let me show you how it's done. 
Exactly. And what did she exactly. have her uh, thug uh, dark glasses on afterwards? <laughs> she was she was wearing it. Uh, she pulled out her. Uh, she doesn't wear the cloth lanyard. She wears a little metallic lanyard with her little charms. She kind of took that out of her shirt and put it over the top and went, "That's right. That's right." <laughs> <laughs> now your your journey in aviation, just to take us back briefly, uh, mm-hmm. you said University of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Now the aviation program that they had there. Was it catered for like an airline career or was it just more of a well-rounded aviation education? It, uh, it, it, it's always been there. Uh, when I got there is when they got their accreditation for, I believe it was part 141. Does that sound right, Roger? Um, so they, they got their accreditation to that. Uh, they started offering a professional pilot program starting off from zero hours all the way to uh, commercial multi and uh, the CFI, double I, MEI, if you wanted it, with high performance and um, high altitude with turbine transition. Um, they, when I got there, uh, the latest and greatest thing that they received was the, uh, at the time it was American Eagle, now it's Envoy, uh, how would you say that, legacy or regional oh, carriers? That's fine. Yeah, the, yeah. the regional carriers in the U.S. Yeah, the, the type like sandpiper. Yeah, those kind. Yeah, the, the internship to 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 do on the off time during the summertime, which then once they reached their um, accreditation and hour requirements, got them an interview at the regional carrier to continue on. So there, there's a few guys at at the airline now that I went to college with that pursued that routing and continued on. Um, core group of friends, we we've scattered. Uh, in all different directions, legacy airlines, military, corporate, uh, training environment, and just fly for fun kind of guys. So uh, it started off as as a uh, as a program to to give you the tools to follow whatever career that you wanted to, to pursue after that. Yeah. Now you diverged from some of your classmates. You know, they they went through the civilian route. Did you always know you were going to join the military? Yes. Yeah. Was this kind of like a, was it expected of you or was it more, I just want to follow in my parents' footsteps? Uh, Going back to the the previous intro type of stuff, seeing what my parents did throughout their professional careers in the military uh, really gave me an eye-opening experience of what's available to you, especially at a real early age. Uh, The military was definitely one that allows a group of 20-year-olds to take a $60 million aircraft overseas and fly the flag um, and, and do, do some really good work, uh, humanitarian, as well as, as war fighting support, um, wherever it needed to be at the time. Um, uh, and, and just definitely hearing the stories from mom and dad of the off times and the, uh, the challenges, uh, to learn the experiences that you gain, especially at a real early portion of your career, um, just kind of sets you up and again, gives you the tools for you and pursue what you want to do. Yeah. And we're going to hear more right after the break. had people on the show before that we've had the the honor to interview that have had the 
military background in aviation. And they always talk about the transition to go from the military world to the civilian world of aviation and the struggles that come along with that. Did you find yourself sharing in those same struggles? I'd call it uh, more of a speed bump than a struggle. Um, personal decisions for myself. Uh, I, I, I did not uh, pursue serious relationships at the time because I was still focusing myself on self-growth and experiences. So I was, uh, I, I pretty much did most of my military career as a, as a single man uh, going through and living life to the fullest. Looking back, I'd like to have changed that. Uh, married with a, a nine-month, turning 10-month uh, next week. And it's, uh, I, I can't think of anything to do other than that. Uh, but going back to it, um, th with the military transition, uh, the biggest thing was when, once you are a military pilot, there's so many additional duties besides just flying the aircraft that, you, that, that come to it. And flying almost becomes a, not necessarily a treat, it almost becomes an additional duty. So you're doing the, the office manager work. And then transitioning to a career where my sole purpose in life is not to fly the airplane um, is, a, is a little different. Uh, the military flying, you might be go on maybe one uh, temporary duty trip for three days, once a month, maybe two. Um, so you're gone maybe four or five days. You, you'd fly a, a daily flight around, around the flagpole or do a, a local training mission, but you're home most of the time. Yeah. Uh, airline side, you're gone 14 days out of the month. And that I'd almost say that's been the, the biggest speed bump is uh, learning to cope with uh, just everyday household items, water heater breaks while you're gone and always oh, crap. Yeah. Uh, First day so, of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so ha having uh, that, that's been the, the biggest transition uh, struggle uh, to use your words uh, that I've definitely found is, how to manage not being home uh, with all these other with all these uh, pop up issues that do arise. Still learning. Uh, been doing it now for eight, coming up on nine years, and it's uh, it's never learning experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's I think it's uh, it's very fluid. You know, you it, the it as you progress in an industry like the airline industry. You know, there, we always talk about how it's three different jobs, right? It's right, you're a new hire on reserve, you know, living out of a suitcase, you know, phone rings, all right, where am I going? And you're really, you can't plan, you can't really have a schedule that's fixed. You're, you're very fluid with it. And then there's the, okay, now I'm senior enough, I can hold a line. So I know my schedule and I can move things around and juggle appointments and juggle duties at home and responsibilities at home. Um, and then there's the senior weekends off, don't have to commute. I can drive to the airport in five minutes. That's my current situation. And I'm, I absolutely <laughs> know how fortunate I am to be in this situation. And, you know, and you don't, you don't spend hours on a commute. You don't spend uh, time checking the weather the night before and making sure you're checked in for a flight. So it's like three different jobs. And, mm -hmm. you know, then you upgrade to captain, as you have done uh, not so long ago. And start all and over. start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, your, your time in the Air Force, did you have any particular stories that are your favorite to tell? Uh, there's quite a few. Um, 
the uh, a few that I won't tell because of the uh, the camera. <laughs> the yes, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, now the, the the best ones are are really um, I, I could definitely say uh, the ones that really pull up the heartstrings and make you really feel good. Um, the aeromedical mission uh, that we would fly. Um, brief brief our brief background. Uh, war in Afghanistan was was quite evolved and quite quite lengthy, and uh, accidents do happen and people get injured. Uh, depending on the severity of the injury, uh, they would. Uh, put them on a, a transport aircraft and fly them nonstop from Afghanistan to Germany. Um, the only downside of flying a C-17 from Afghanistan to Germany is they're limited to their speed at which they can, they can fly. Uh, the KC-135 is a speed machine. Uh, back in the day, it set all kinds of records, time to climb, time to cruise, endurance, all that kind of stuff. So when it really came down to um, medically critical people, They'd, they'd pick and choose a few people that were, were kind of, they'd take the risk of flying on an older aircraft with less space, less lighting, less comfort control. But when time was of the essence, they'd put them on our airplane and we would fly the speed of heat from Afghanistan to Germany, maybe shave an hour off the flight time wow. to, give, to give the person another hour of fighting chance of medical treatment. Uh, doing that at the end of the day, uh, for us, it was uh, a 24-hour day with three pilots. You were exhausted, but when you did that and you hear the news that uh, the, the service member, uh, whether it was American or any, por any portion of the coalition, uh, survived and is recovering back, at the, back in Germany, really, really felt good. I bet. Yeah. Now, you, you said something that sparked interest. Um... And I can only imagine the sense of pride one would have being a part of such a critical mission. You said you flew at the speed of heat. Can you explain that yes. <laughs> phrase to us? Uh, so most aircraft are limited to a maximum forward operating speed, and in the industry we call that the red line. Um, on the tanker, uh, the, um, the charted red line is 0.9 Mach, um, which is 90% uh, the speed of sound. Uh, typical cruising speed we'd like to do uh, for the Office of Fuel Efficiency is 0.79 Mach, 79% uh, of the speed of sound. So when it really, when you take a journey of six, seven, eight hours, and you multiply that by the 450 knots true and ground speed and all that kind of thing, going 10% faster over the length of duration um, definitely uh, just you, you speed it up. At, and you you take the the hit of your burning you're going to burn more gas uh, to get to where you need to go a little bit faster, but for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. So to fly redline everywhere, it's not economically sound. Uh, if you fly yeah. for a carrier whose parent company pays for all your fuel, you'll yeah. fly this redline everywhere. But if you're flying for a carrier that's paying for that fuel. And you're trying to, you know, come in on your margins. You definitely want to fly the planned Mach number. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I love it when people go, "Hi, oh, we flew the speed of heat," and I was like, "Oh, uh, <laughs> what happens? Did the wings uh, catch fire? What happened?" <laughs> yeah. Now, so Roger, uh, his experience in what he's doing with his current Part 91 operator sounds a lot like a military pilot, really. 
wouldn't you say, Roger, with the there's so much more going on there's, in the background? Yeah, there's a lot more similarities, obviously, from the administration standpoint that the military that the military guys do. I, you know, the military guys, like you know, like Rob was saying, don't fly nearly as much as I think, you know, from what I remember, uh, you know, my dad was in the Air Force. He didn't fly, but from the, the limited experience that I have with other armed service members, flying is not something you actually do very much. Um, and that's in any branch of, of the military. It's actually mostly flying a desk. And then I think what, what you had said earlier is, is like almost a treat to go, <laughs> to go fly. Um, and I don't remember who I was. I, it was just within the last couple of weeks. And somebody had said something about it. It was like, I think he was an F-15 pilot. I think he was a Navy. And I, like I said, I don't remember who it was, but he, he said, you know, flying an F-15 is awesome. Being an F-15 pilot, not so much because, you know, you have that experience to, to do this stuff, but in the grand scheme of things, you don't do all that much of it um, just because of all that, the admin and and really a lot of desk work. Yeah. I'll I'll definitely say this. Um, The, we had, we would have a training program, uh, flight hours, and we'd have a breakdown of what, what other countries and stuff like that would, would fly. Uh, what, what you would know. So uh, the typical initial pilot training um, graduate, they're probably flying about 400, 500 hours a, a year, maybe. The more senior you get and the more experience you get, it's it kind of becomes like riding a bike. They go, all right, you don't really need the 500 hours. We'll get by with maybe two and your your duties are better well suited behind the desk and teaching and doing all this other kind of other stuff. And you sit back and you go, I joined to, to fly airplanes. <laughs> and here I am at a desk. Yeah. yeah. So it, uh, it, it, it's rewarding in itself, but at the same time, uh, there's, there's definite avenues that uh, the tools available to you from being military aviation definitely provides uh, to, to whatever you want to do. And uh, still haven't lost the bug for flying, and it's something that I definitely enjoy. I kind of, I'm a little, I guess, slightly maybe slightly jealousy. My, my dad was a family practitioner and the air force paid for his medical school. And so I was actually born at Travis air force base. Um, and we lived in Guam and I, I enjoyed the flying aspect, um, and, and wanted, and kind of looked at the military. Unfortunately, I have these things that I've had since fourth grade. And cause I, cause I'm old also. Um, mm-hmm. but back in the day, it just wasn't, it wasn't an yeah. option like it is now. I mean, rules have definitely changed now for anyone that's out there listening. The military is definitely relaxed um, eyesight requirements, but it just wasn't something that that I was able to do. And so I've done it all the civilian route. And well, I mean, nobody flies in my family either. So I'm I, I just I'm just lost in general. That's what I like to say. <laughs> well, we're always here for you, Roger. If you're if you're location wise, <laughs> if your location pops up, you're more than welcome to sit down for dinner with me. <laughs> Oh man. Well, thank you. Now, Rob, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, just before we wrap it up, a couple questions for you. Go ahead. What would be your go-to coolest flight experience? That's tough. <laughs> that really is a tough one. Um, in terms of going out to, to just go fly would be pretty much every day. Uh, just taking the airplane from V1 Rotate Airborne, um, calling for gear up is is one of the coolest things ever. Um, 
I, I would also say on time off, doing the hundred dollar hamburger dance, uh, where you just take the the Cessna one seventy two or somebody's airplane and go fly someplace and enjoy a meal and fly right back. Um, pretty much anything that just gets you up into the air is my go to experience. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 your sentiment is is shared. <laughs> yeah. Um, now. What is it that you wish you knew when you first got started in this career field? That the knowledge is continual. Uh, just because you think you know something doesn't mean it's not going to change. Um, there are thousands of different ways to achieve the same outcome. Uh, but uh, being open and understanding of different methods to achieve the, the same outcome are all out there. Um, just because you're you're a military aviator doesn't mean you're any less um, accomplished or skilled uh, than any other profession or more skilled. It's just a different set of uh, metrics that they're measured from. Um, but uh, that, that's pretty much that uh, the wide breadth of availability is definitely there. Yeah. And what's been the greatest lesson so far in your aviation career that you've learned? Um, uh, humility, humility. Uh, like I said, the second you, you, you try to predict an outcome is when mother nature, mechanical passenger crew member, something gets thrown into the mix and it, uh, you just have to, to pull from what you know and policies and procedures and, and knowledge to then create a new outcome that's beneficial for everybody. Yeah. How have your co-pilots been or first officers? Sorry. I'm, I'm guessing, did I, you know, for, for those of you who, who might not be able to see, but, but uh, Mr. Cosand here is probably one of the younger captains over at legacy airlines, um, quite possibly flying with, with fellow pilots, I'm guessing maybe a couple decades older than him. Uh, so how, how's that experience been any, any fun first officer stories or any experiences I'd, I'd definitely say uh, only only one guy comes to mind, and he's at the top of my screen. There's always <laughs> one, isn't there? There's always one. Oh, you young kids! Was same. his name Was his name Tony? Uh, it had Aviator in his, in his screen name. Yeah, I've heard of that eight. guy. <laughs> yep, I've heard of that guy. Uh, no, no, it, it, uh, everyone's been uh, just fantastic uh, to the point of uh, we're all we're all accredited uh, through through the licensing procedures and uh, the training programs. Um, personality-wise, it's just been phenomenal. Uh, aviation is just a, a great group of people um, that you, not necessarily everyone's type A, not everyone's a, a, a beta or any of those lines, uh, extroverts, introverts, we all get along so well together. And that's definitely one of the things that the community that I really enjoy is you get to meet new people, make new friends, and, uh, and get to share some great stories over, over the course of a few days and uh, continue those friendships uh, until the professional and uh, sadly the, the end of life comes. But uh, you, you definitely make friends throughout the entire process. And, uh, but it, it's just been phenomenal that, that the, uh, the group of people that you've surrounded yourself with in the aviation community, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And, and I've had family members tell me, you know, you know how lucky you are, you get to go to work, have adult conversations with people that are like-minded, that are technical, that are articulate, and you can have a conversation about almost anything. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, I do realize how lucky I am. We all are. Um, 
and, yeah. and it's it's a great career if you carry that humility that you mentioned with you. Uh, it, you can go so far and and make those meaningful connections with people and stay in touch with them through the use of social media and through the use of technology. And yeah, it's it's such a humbling experience to be an aviator in today's marketplace because I think those connections, you know, we don't have that opportunity where you'd fly together with the same crew the whole month long and you stay in these long layovers and, you know, get treated like royalty. That golden era of aviation is over and it will never come back because we live in a different society. But if you have the right personality and the right attitude, those experiences are still out there and they're plentiful. Yes. Yes. And it's uh, uh, one, of, one of the things that I don't like to say I pride myself on it is I have I have a memory of the weirdest things that I remember. Uh, there's guys that I've fl- that I haven't flown with in six years and we pick it up right back where we left off. And you go, well, I remember that time ago. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, it was a great time. And it just you, you continue, continue the friendships. You, you continue the, the, the storytelling um, and it, it just becomes a, uh, a phenomenal experience. Yeah. You know, I just want to say thank you again for spending your time with us. I know that uh, both you and Captain Roger have uh, other responsibilities to take care of right now. We're going to cut it a little bit shorter today. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter show. Um, But one final question before we, we sign off, and that is, who had the largest impact on your career? And what would you say to them if they were sitting right next to you right now? Uh, the person that had the most influence over my, my professional career and, and definitely uh, the way that I live my life, I'm going to say is my dad. Um, he, he created the environment that, that, uh, allowed the, the technical and mechanical expertise to, to foster and grow. Uh, he had the knowledge of the, that I would ask questions, uh, not necessarily just from aviation, but, uh, just having him teach me how to change a tire, how to change a starter, um, getting into the mechanical ways, but also creating the environment of not necessarily it's bad to fail. You just learn ways to not do something again. So you learn a way to do it, but there's also multiple ways of getting things done. Um, teaching me that, uh, the humility that other people have gone through that, that got to the same place that you are. Uh, but a different route and the respect uh, default to to allow that person to shine as well. Um, life's the game in the, in the sense that we, we all just want to be happy and that's that's the goal. And there, there's multiple pathways to get to that goal. And uh, each pathway is different, but it's, uh, as long as you're happy, you're winning. And winning is what we do. Thanks again, Rob, for joining us uh, here at Squawk Ident. Uh, We look forward to hearing more about your journey in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I flew in the war a long time ago. I wouldn't know anything about it. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure, as always. I want to take this time to say thank you again to Captain Rob Kosand for joining us today. Uh, What a amazing journey he's had and it's still going uh, nicest guy you'll ever meet seriously 
please help us out here on the show by sharing Squawk Ident online and with your friends. Be sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November Yankee.com. There you will find audio archives, photos from the flight line, the guest book photo tab, our Squawk Ident pilot shop, where you can find an assortment of t-shirts, hats, mugs, and much, much more. Small proceeds from all sales go towards helping finance this podcast. You can also contribute financially to our program right from the homepage of our website. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under Squawk Ident or Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. Also, one big final thank you for Captain Roger and Captain Rob Kosan for joining me today. And thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Nice to meet you, Rob. Pleasure, Roger. Till next time. All right. Take care.